0: Thanks, Marg. Uh, There's transcripts at the back if anyone wants any, uh, but it's great to be able to share God's word with you this morning. Now, I remember when I first started high school, it was well over 20 years ago. I'm not as young as I look. Uh, I was one of the few practicing Christians in my grade, which meant that I spoke and I acted differently to everyone else. One day in year seven, a boy walked up to me and with a very serious look, he asked me, do you live across the road? I looked at him and wondered, what's this all about? Surely you must live across the road. There's a Buddhist temple over there. You must be a monk. Now, I went home and cried my eyes out. Uh, You know, that really hurt. And it's okay if you don't know whether to laugh or to, you know, cringe with me. Uh, But it wasn't the racism that upset me. Uh, I felt like I was being teased for being a Christian. It was having my faith mocked that hurt. Now, would you say that I suffered for being a Christian? Well, in this particular instance, probably not really. But there will come a time when my faith, when our faith, will be tested by trials and persecutions because we follow Jesus. Perhaps you've already experienced suffering for being a disciple of Jesus. I've spoken with some of you who've had children grow up in church who stopped going and are now actively opposing you in your faith. There's some of us here who work in really tough industries like the media or the government or education where being a Christian is really difficult. People have gossiped about you and you've been overlooked for a promotion because you didn't put the company above God. Perhaps some of you have had to leave your homes, your jobs, your countries and even your families because being a Christian could result in harm to your family and to your life. Suffering for being a Christian isn't an uncommon experience, but we all suffer in different ways depending on where we are in the world. In other parts of the world, the risk to your safety and to your life is even more pronounced. Consider Tham in northern Vietnam. In 2017, his family decided to become Christians after listening to some Christian radio broadcasts. And two years later, the local authorities started pressuring the family to abandon Jesus, to revert back to their traditional religion. However, his family decided to remain steadfast in the faith. And so the local authorities punished them by confiscating their tools so that they couldn't work their rice fields and to support themselves. They cut off the electricity to their homes for more than a week. And they even refused to issue a birth certificate to one of the children, which meant that they couldn't access health care. It seems like following Jesus will result in suffering and persecution to some degree or another. Why? Why? Are we Christians not people of love and peace and compassion? Do we not seek to help the needy and care for the vulnerable? Why does the world hate Christians and look for opportunities to persecute and oppress us? It's because Jesus promises that those who follow him will experience persecution. We're at our first point. Following Jesus means that we have promises. Jesus is very clear on the cost of following him. He doesn't promise a life of comfort or ease, but one of suffering. Why? When well, John 15, Jesus says these words, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Difficult words to hear, isn't it? Christians will be hated and persecuted because the world hated Jesus and persecuted him, even if we try to live a peaceful life. Just as Jesus was respect, uh, was rejected despised and hung on a cross to die by his own people, we shouldn't expect any different. As his followers, we follow. We follow the path of suffering. And as we read in 1 Peter, we participate in the sufferings of Christ and suffer according to God's will. And so, when we suffer for being a Christian, it shouldn't come as a surprise. It'll be intense. We'll be insulted, will suffer, and we'll be tempted to be ashamed for bearing the name of Christ. These fiery ordeals can come from a diff- any different number of sources. For Jesus, his persecution came from his community, the religious authorities, the political government, and even those he considered like his own family. And these same sources continue to be a source of persecution for Christians today. Persecution can come from our own community. In Pakistan, a Christian man by the name of Ashfaq owned a bike repair shop. And one day, a Muslim man came in to get his bike fixed. But then he argued with Ashfaq and then reported him to the police, accusing him of blasphemy in order to avoid paying for the repair work. Now, despite the clear abuse and weaponisation of the law, the court determined that Ashfaq was indeed guilty of blasphemy. And his punishment was a death sentence. Persecution can come from other religious groups. In India, Pastor Kanojia was arrested on charges of forced conversions. He said that there had been constant efforts from the radical Hindu nationalists to close down his church. And because of the legal case against him, he had to shut down his house church where over 150 Christians were meeting each week. Persecution can come from governments. Churches in China, in Changxi and Henan provinces, had surveillance cameras forcibly installed in their churches to monitor who attends and what is being taught. The governments of China and North Korea have colluded together in their persecution of Christians. Believers who have escaped over the border of North Korea are tortured and abused in China before being sent back to the death camps of North Korea. Persecution can even come from your own family. Abud and his family from the Middle East converted from Islam, but their extended family was furious and wanted them to give up on Jesus. They made threats that escalated and escalated, and it became increasingly dangerous for them to stay. In one incident, they kidnapped Abud's wife and physically abused her. She was later returned, injured but alive. But they eventually fled to safety leaving everything behind. The promise of suffering is quite confronting. The cost of following Jesus is very, very high. So why should we even follow Jesus if it's going to be so hard? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Well, there is, because Jesus gives us another promise, the promise of glory. We do not suffer our faith for no reason. Romans eight seventeen to 18 puts it this way. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. Consider that our, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Jesus suffered But then he was glorified at his resurrection, and we too share in his sufferings, knowing that we too will share in his glory at our resurrection. The troubles in the dark tunnel that we may travel through is not worth comparing to the glory that is at the end of the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, because we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. This means that we share in the blessings of eternal life and all that comes with it in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 11-12 that the reward in heaven for his disciples, his followers, will be great. These insults, persecutions, false accusations, they're just a part of the journey to glory. And so we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. This outlook is similar to Abraham's. Last year we looked at Abraham and the faith that he had in God. And Abraham looked forward to a future hope in heaven. who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore, which is what we heard in our family spot. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, he saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of a country that left them, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. The writer of Hebrew goes on to describe many more examples of faith to spur us on in our journey of faith. And to look forward to the heavenly rewards at the end. And in the same way, when, when we suffer for the sake of the gospel, we long for something much better than anything that this world can offer. All the good things that God has blessed us with in this life will pale in significance compared to the spiritual blessings that we've already received in Christ and will enjoy in its fullness in the next life. The promise of glory Make suffering worth it. As we wait, and as we suffer for bearing the name of Christ, we are to run, the, run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. But how do we have the strength to fix our eyes on Jesus? How can we know that we'll make it to the end when we're well and truly suffering? How can we be confident that we won't give up on Christ and fail to finish the race? Well, we have yet another great promise from Jesus. In John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will come and empower his believers when Jesus departs. Last term, we spent time looking at the fruit of the Spirit. If our Christian lives are growing in the areas of love, joy, peace, forbearance, goodness, kindness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is in us and at work in us. And that can give us confidence now, before we face persecution, that he will be with us in the midst of the persecution. In Ephesians 1, we also see why having the Holy Spirit is such a comfort and blessing. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection that brings forgiveness and life. When you believe this message, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. God graciously pours out His Spirit when we place our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we will make it to the end because we've already been secured by Christ's blood. And this helps us to see that suffering isn't pointless. Look at how Paul puts it in Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Holy Spirit helps us to stand firm in our faith, especially in the midst of persecution. Suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. And so we can have confidence that we are more than conquerors because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither trouble, hardship, persecution, danger, sword, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope that this gives you comfort and hope if you are currently suffering for bearing Christ's name. And if you're not yet feeling persecuted and that pressure, I hope it prepares you for the future suffering that will come. Following Jesus means having the promise of Suffering. But with it, glory and the Holy Spirit strengthening our faith when we suffer for bearing His name. But right now, here in Gladesville in Sydney in Australia, I suspect that we probably don't suffer to the same severity and extent as our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. So, what does knowing all of this have to do with me? Why should I care if it isn't going to be as hard as it sounds? Why should I care if persecution isn't coming my way, if at all? Following Jesus means we stand together because we are one in Christ. And that's our next point. Paul describes the church as a body in 1 Corinthians 12. Christ is our head and Christians make up the different parts of the body, each valuable to one another and having equal concern for each other. When one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And so when our brothers and sisters suffer for their faith in other parts of the world, it should deeply hurt us because they're family, and we're their family. That's the language of 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The writer of Hebrews 13.3 exhorts us to continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. But it's about more than just standing in solidarity with them. It's about more than just sympathizing. It's about more than just empathizing. Paul in Galatians 6 and Romans 12 encourages us in these ways. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. I want to suggest that we have the opportunity now to do good to share with our brothers and sisters who are in need. We have the opportunity now while we're following Jesus in Australia where persecution isn't yet life-threatening. And so I want to suggest two practical steps. Pray persistently and give generously. Well, firstly, prayer. Pray persistently. Prayer should be a priority because it's ultimately God who, who sustains his children's faith in the midst of the fiery ordeals. But to make our prayers more meaningful, we should be aware of what's going on in God's world and pray persistently for our brothers and sisters who are suffering for the gospel. There are countless stories like Dham from Vietnam, Ashfaq from Pakistan, Pastor Kanogjia from India, and many more of those who have lost so much to be a disciple of Jesus. You can consider signing up for updates from organizations like Anglican Aid, International Christian Concern, and Barnabas Aid, who have resources and stories from the field. Read the personal stories of those who are suffering and being persecuted for their faith. By doing so, we're able to express compassion and love more genuinely as we pray specifically for people by name and circumstances, and not just generically as the persecuted I spoke with someone this morning who said that they're already subscribing uh, to one of these organizations and receiving the updates, and it brings them to tears to hear just how difficult it is to be a Christian in other parts of the world, and it makes her grateful for the safety that we have here. At home, my wife puts one of these magazines on the dining table, which reminds us to pray every time uh, we eat, and she also puts a magazine in the bathroom as well, which makes for better reading than the ingredients listed on toothpaste. Uh, perhaps Saturday uh, can now become known as Suffering Saturday, as a way of remembering to pray for those who are suffering for the faith. It, it's up to you how you mourn with those who mourn. But our prayers matter to God and to them. So let me encourage you to start praying for the persecuted church, for our brothers and sisters who are suffering for the faith, if you aren't doing so already. And secondly, another practical step is to let our brothers and sisters know that we are standing with them by giving generously. We can give the gift of words of encouragement. Organizations like Open Doors provide opportunities for us to write letters and to type emails to Christians in other parts of the world, letting them know that we stand together with them on this journey of faith, letting them know that they are not alone. Perhaps you can consider writing a letter with your kids at home as a family activity and modelling what encouraging another family looks like. We can also give the gift of finances. God tells us in our Proverbs 11 reading that the desire of the righteous ends only in good. When we desire to bless others with our wealth, well then both the person giving and the person receiving receive gain and prosper. A desire to give generously is also evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in the areas of kindness and goodness. Both Christians and non-Christians will give generously to all sorts of different charities, ones that care for broken families, one that cares for sick individuals, for the people on the street. But I want to challenge you to consider giving financially to the persecuted church, to the persecuted Christians and their families, because only Christians will give to persecuted Christians. And if we don't do it, who will? Over the past few months, Australian headlines have been dominated with the rising cost of living, and things will continue to get more expensive. The rising cost of living will make life more difficult. But for persecuted Christians, the cost the cost of living for Jesus is their livelihood, their families, and even their very lives. Their cost of living is very high. You can consider giving through Christian organisations like Anglican Aid, which has a fund set up especially for the persecuted Christians. And you can give a regular donation as a part of your regular church giving to church and mission. And with tax returns around the corner, perhaps you can consider how you can use the extra bit of money that's coming back to you, that you didn't really need during the year, Uh, how that can go to support Christian families who are suffering. I want to encourage you to do something, to not have inertia, but to actually do something, to be practical with the things that you've heard today. Pray persistently and give generously. To finish, I want to share these words from a man named Abdullah, a 23-year-old father of three who grew up in a strict Muslim household in Uganda. I was the first to convert to Christianity after listening to Pastor John preach in the market. The message was so clear and powerful that I was convicted of my sins and the Lord saved me that day. I went back home and shared with my wife about my new birth and she also decided to follow suit. I called the pastor to pray with my wife and until now he has been walking with us. Three days after becoming Christians, my father knocked at our door very early in the morning to know why he had not met me in the mosque for prayers. I couldn't lie to him, and the Holy Spirit prompted me to testify to him that Christ had become my saviour. I was scared to the core, but I found strength in the Lord. That's when hell broke loose, and it was time to pay the consequences that many from strict Muslim families experience when they desert the Islamic faith for the Christian faith. We were ordered out of the family with immediate effect. When we became believers, I lost my job where I used to work for a Muslim shop owner. Now I look for casual jobs in the village to make some money for my family. It's not easy, but the Lord has been faithful to us. He has given us peace, joy, and love in our hearts, and we are happy to join believers in fellowship every week. We know several cases whereby Muslim background believers have been poisoned by family members or friends working in collaboration with their families. Other believers have been beaten to death. But we, we are determined to serve Christ, even if it means losing our lives. We know that there is another life waiting, awaiting us where we shall live with Christ forever. Let's pray. Eternal Father, Almighty shepherd of your people, you have promised that those who follow Jesus will be persecuted. We pray for your children around the world who are suffering mistreatment, imprisonment, loss of possessions, and threats of death for their allegiance to you. By your mighty power, keep them faithful to you. Be their shield and defense, their refuge, and their stronghold. Shelter them under the shadow of your wings, that they may not fear their enemies, And help us uphold them in prayer and giving, that together we may walk in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and not be ashamed to confess him as Lord, to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, we've heard a powerful message from God's word, and a challenge to persevere and to stand together with others. Um, our other brothers and sisters in Christ if we can get the QR code up on the screen please uh, we're going to take a moment now to reflect on what we've heard this might be a time for you to stop and to pray in light of what you've heard or you might want to share with us a question or a comment um, and we'll get back to you during the week with that so please take an opportunity now to reflect on what we've heard in God's word